Okay, that is not my walkout music. I just want you to know, everyone here knows what my walkout music is, but Brian. <laughs> what is it? That's not it! Nice try. All right. So let me ask you a question, and you don't have to answer out loud. You don't even have to answer to your neighbor. I just want you to think about it for a minute. Why are you here? What's the purpose of all of this? Is it social? Is it ethical? Trying to check an ethical box, it's the right thing to do. What's the purpose of Sunday morning gathering? You know, there's a lot of ways we could chase out that answer. But the bottom line is, we exist as a church, we exist as individuals to make God known. We exist to help you to know who God is and to foster a greater level of love for God. So Jesus was asked, what's the most important commandment? And he said that you should love the Lord your God with all of your heart, with all of your soul, with all your might. You should love God with everything. Well, how can you love God if you don't know God? And so part of our job when we sing, when we exhort you in the middle of a song, when we, we bring the lyrics of the song to the table, when we play music, when I teach, is to help you to know God more and in turn to love God more. We exist to help you to fall in love with God. You exist to help others to fall in love with God, to make God famous. We're teaching through the series on Luke, a series that we've called Absolute. And, and really, the very purpose of this series is, and all the series we do, is to help you to know and love God more. I'm going to read a passage from the very beginning of Luke, just as a way of kind of framing the series again. Luke 1, verses 3 through 4, Luke is writing, and he says, It seemed good to me, also having followed all these things closely for some time past. I've been watching what's going on. I've been following all the events. I've been paying close attention to it, and it seemed good to me to write an orderly account for you, most excellent Theopolis. In verse 4, it says that you may have certainty concerning the things you've been taught. Luke is writing an apologetic, a defense of the Christian faith. He is writing a letter to Theopolis, helping Theopolis to understand and to sink into all the things he's been taught. He's helping him to know God more and to love God more. This morning, I'm going to use a few different sections from chapters 1 and 2, and uh, because of time and just the rhythm of the morning, there's no way we could read two chapters to you in one sitting as we sit here, but, but I have a homework assignment for you. I want you to do just that. I want you to go home, ideally in the next day or two, this afternoon would even be great, and I want you to read Luke chapters 1 and 2. It'll take you about five or six minutes, uh, maybe 10 if you're not a fast reader, but it's not going to take you very long. Read through it and ask God to show you what he wants you to see about who he is and, and how he loves, and if you do that and kind of short order behind this sermon, I think you'll see some of the things that I talk about come into the full picture. So this, this sermon itself is going to have more impact on you if you just take that moment or a few moments and read through chapters 1 and 2 of Luke in your own time. So the question is, what has Luke written in these opening two chapters that help us to be certain or to have absolute certainty, to strengthen our belief in the things that we've been taught. 
when Luke writes in that verse 4, the, the, the verse that I just read, that you may have certainty. He's using this Greek word that when you, you look at the word and you see it in other places in scriptures, it's sometimes translated uh, security, sometimes it's translated safety, sometimes it's translated reliability, and then it's, sometimes it's even translated firmness. There's one point where that word is used to describe a prison cell that is certainly firmly locked. And I love that picture, this rich word that's basically saying, as you read this letter, as we study this letter, our faith is going to be locked in. We are going to be more and more certain of the things that we believe. Let me pray for us this morning. Lord, I just thank you for uh, this incredible gospel, the gospel of Luke. Uh, I just pray that you would uh, guide these next few minutes as I just uh, share what I feel like you've laid on my heart. I pray that we'd have ears to hear. Lord, anything I say that's of you, I pray that it would just um, take root and the things that are not of you would fall away. Lord, help us to have a interaction with you, with the living God, and leave here different than we came. In Jesus' name, amen. All right, so I want to encourage you to have your Bibles open uh, to the beginning of Luke. And again, like I said, I'm going to be jumping around. There isn't one particular passage I'm teaching from today, but if you have your Bible open to Luke, uh, it's going to be easier for you to find them when I kind of call them out as we move along. If you need to use the Bible under your seat, it's there. I want to encourage you to check in on Facebook or whatever social media you, you use. Let people know you're here at Grace. If you hear something in song, if you hear something that Ed said or Flet said or I say that moves you, uh, we would encourage you to post that. We're going to let the world know that we're learning about Jesus here at Grace today. So feel free to, uh, to do that as well. What can we see in the opening two chapters? that will help us to have absolute certainty in our faith. Or said differently, what are some of the absolute truths in chapters 1 and 2? And the first truth that we need to see is that God is at work. That all of this story that's being written is a God story. Or said differently, God sees first absolute truth is that God sees, God cares, God moves, God loves, God is at work, and this is a God story, right? So we begin in chapter one, there's this scene that takes place in the temple of God, when an angel who stands in the presence of God and shows up and talks to a priest of God, right? So, so we see that this is all a God story, but this this angel shows up. So if you look at uh, Luke 1, 13, the second part, he says, the angel says to Zechariah, don't be afraid, for your prayers have been heard. What does that tell us? It tells us that God sees, that God hears. God is is listening to the prayers of this old priest and his wife. God is, is actively hearing, seeing, and moving. God sees, God moves, God hears. God sees people. He sees who we are. He shows up in this story in a profound way to show us how much he sees our desperate need for him. Zachariah and Elizabeth, they're going to have a son. The very purpose of their son, if you look at uh, 116, says he, talking about John the Baptist, will turn many of the children of Israel to the Lord their God. This is a God story. It's about a God who sees, a God who cares, a God who moves, a God who takes interest in the lives of his people. 
It's a narrative of God's passion and God's heart to see his people redeemed and saved. When talking to Mary, this same angel, this angel Gabriel, who stands in the presence of God, tells her, God sees you. I've been watching you, Mary. You've found favor with God. I see you. God is a God who sees us. He sees us corporately. He sees us as a, as a human race. But he sees us as individuals. God sees. In verse 135, he says to Mary, Therefore the child to be born will be called holy. He will be called the son of God. This is a God story. This is God's son. Chapter 2, we see this multitude of angels. They're singing to the, to the shepherds, right? And, and then we see God showing up to an old man named Simeon, who's been waiting for the consolation of Israel, it says. And Simeon sees the baby, and he takes him in his arms, and he blesses God, and he says in, in chapter 2, verse 29 through 32, this Simeon speaking, he says, Lord, now you're letting your servant depart in peace. He's saying, you, you saw me. You heard my prayers. I've been waiting for this day my whole life, and, and you knew I was waiting for this day my whole life, and you saw me. You cared enough to give me this moment to hold the Messiah in my hands. Lord, now you're letting your servant depart in peace according to your word, for my eyes have seen your salvation that you have prepared in the presence of the people in light of for revelation to the Gentiles and for the glory of your people, Israel. It's God's word, God's salvation. God has prepared for God's people. This is a God story. Simeon recognizes that God sees, that God cares, that God hears, that God moves. Now, why is this so important? Why is this one truth so important? I'm guessing some of you are saying, uh, yeah, we're at church. We know it's a God thing. This isn't a real revolutionary sort of idea that what we're learning about is a God story. But if we are honest with ourselves, we forget this one truth. We forget that God sees, that God loves, that God cares. You know, we didn't work it out when Ed talks about the love of God and he talks about really believing that God is good. That was, that was not scripted. I didn't know that Ed was going to talk about it, and Ed didn't know that I was going to talk about it. That was for your benefit, because God wanted to make sure he reminded you, I see you. I'm a good God. I see you. I care, and I want to move in your life in a powerful way. We need to take what we know about God, and we need to move it from head knowledge to heart knowledge, but then it needs to move all the way to our feet. We need to walk this truth out in our daily lives. We need to really get to the place where it becomes how we live our lives in the everyday. Not just something we know, but something we know and something that, that changes the way we literally behave. Because the truth is, in the midst of hard times, it's hard to believe that God sees and that God cares. In the midst of a bad diagnosis, you'll question whether or not God is good. When you face, face extreme difficulties, it will be hard for you to grasp the truth that God sees me, that God loves me, and that God cares for me. And when you lose that grip on this reality, 
you will find yourself anxious. Kind of an irony that this week I said to Meg um, yesterday as we got ready to come back from Sioux Falls. I said, you know, I have been anxious all week. And then I remember my sermon. Sometimes I wonder who I'm preaching to. But when I'm anxious, it's because I forget. This is a God thing. I'm anxious about what's got to happen here. I'm anxious about school. I'm anxious about the Eagle Sports stuff. All this stuff that's got to get done. And how am I going to get to everything? And I just forget. I think I'm, in, I'm the one. This is a God thing. God's in control. God sees. God cares. God loves. God's moving. And I need to remind myself this one basic theological truth that this is a God thing. And I think if I need to remind myself, chances are you need to remind yourself as well. We see in the opening chapters of Luke, the first person of the Trinity, as it were, God the Father. And God the Father is good. But can I tell you something? It is hard for us to believe, many, many of us to believe that God the Father is good. And here's why. Our image of God is always rooted in our earthly father. What you experience from your earthly father will shape your initial image of God the Father. This is important for you to hold on to because it changes the way you get. So if your father left you when you were young, if your father walked out and, and abandoned the family and divorced your mom and, and he wasn't around, you will have issues with God and thinking that God is going to abandon you, that God is going to leave you hanging. If your father never spoke truth into your life, then you are going to have a hard time believing that God the Father is one who speaks truth into your life. If your father was a rager, was angry, then your image of God is going to be a God who's just waiting for you to mess up so he can bring the hammer. Those images of God are rooted in our earthly father. And, and here, I just, I got news for you. All of your dads were human. So even if you had a good dad, he still fell short. I think I'm a good dad. My kids still need therapy. <laughs> they still need to work through what is the biblical image of God and what did I really get from my earthly father because our image of God needs to be stripped away from this earthly image and it needs to be true to what the godly image because God is a good, good father and he wants good for you. And so you have to do that work. And so here we have this letter, this gospel. As we journey through the gospel of Luke, we're going to see a father who sees. We're going to see a father who cares. We're going to see a father who loves. We're going to see a good, good father. We can have our image of God reshaped by the power of God's word. We exist for that very purpose, to help you to reshape your understanding and your knowledge of God so that you can love God and God can pour out his blessings on you. So Luke wanted Theopolis, this God to know that, that there's three absolute truths coming out of chapter one and two. The first is that God sees and the second is that Jesus saves. This baby boy born of a virgin came for the very purpose of saving us. Luke's making it really clear in these opening two chapters that this is no ordinary baby. Pay attention. There's something different 
about this baby. I want you to see it. So as he, he writes this letter, he begins to draw a contrast between two babies, actually. So if you look in the, in the beginning of Luke, he begins to talk about this baby named John the Baptist. And what he wants us to do is he wants to see all the things that are similar about John the Baptist. But then he wants us to make sure, don't miss this. He says, I want you to see what's similar, but I want you to see the profound differences as well. So we see, if you go back, when you do your homework and you're going to read through Luke 1 and 2, and you'll probably hear that a few more times before I'm done preaching because you're all going to do it for me, you're going to read and you're going to see these similarities. You're going to see that both John the Baptist and Jesus, they were both born by miracle conceptions. They were both announced by the angel Gabriel. You know that angel that stands in the presence of God? He came and announced both their births. So they're pretty important people, both announced by an angel. That's a good thing. They were both named by God. The angel came and told them, God says, call them this, call them John, call them Jesus. Both are going to have a huge impact on the nation. And Luke is writing all this, and he's saying, pay attention, this is really cool. I want you to see how powerful John the Baptist is, but make no mistake, he is no Jesus. There are some profound differences that I want you to know. Don't worship John the Baptist, worship Jesus. And so he writes the profound differences as well. John was conceived between a man and a woman. Miraculous, no doubt, but still a man and a woman. Jesus was born of a virgin. The name John means God is gracious. The name Jesus means Savior. John's purpose was to prepare the way for the Lord. Jesus is actually the Lord. John's time in ministry was limited to a few years. Jesus will sit on the throne of Jesus for all eternity. One is finite and one is infinite. So the bottom line here is that Jesus is Lord, and John is not his equal. That's chapter 1. In chapter 2, Luke says, I, I, I want to contrast two more people for you. There's another person I want you to hold in contrast to this Jesus that's born in the manger, and I really want you to see this, Theopolis, because it's important for you. It's important for you to grow in your faith and to understand all the things that you believe. So look at chapter 2, verses 1 through 4. Luke writes these words. He says, In those days a decree went out from Caesar Augustus that all the world should be registered. This was the first registration when Quirinius was the governor of Syria. And all went to be registered, each to his own town. And Joseph also went up to Galilee from the town of Nazareth to Judea to the city of David, which is also called Bethlehem, because he was the house and the lineage of David. One could ask the question, why would Luke write this? I mean, after all, who's in charge? Who's calling the shots here? Because it looks like this Caesar Augustus is the one who's calling the shots, right? But what Luke is showing is that this all-powerful king is really just a pawn in the hands of God. He is just being used by God to bring about God's purposes. This is the very thing that's put into place that causes the, the Joseph and Mary to go to Bethlehem to fulfill the prophecies of Micah 5. But there's a comparison being here, made here that we would totally miss in today's day and age because we don't understand the historical context, because we can't, can't see all that's going on. But I guarantee without a doubt that it was not missed on Theopolis when he read it. So what we told you a few weeks ago, Theopolis was probably 
Roman soldier or a Roman dignitary. He was high up in the Roman courts. That's what the most honorable Theopolis was all about. So a Roman official. And Luke is contrasting the power of the Roman Empire with the cosmic power of this little baby born in the manger. Augustus was the adopted son of Julius Caesar. He was actually Julius Caesar's grandson, but, but Julius Caesar adopted him. Now here's the deal with Julius Caesar. He said to the people, I am God. Caesar said, I am deity. It was a big change in Roman governance when Julius Caesar came out and said, no, to be the, the emperor is to be God. So along comes this grandchild who's adopted as a son who referred to himself as the son of God. This is Theopolis' boss. He would have known all this. In verse 1, when it says that he sent out a decree that all the world should be registered. Don't miss that. All the world. With just a word, he got people moving and all these different providences moving. He had, he had all this power. He was, had all this thought of maybe sovereignty. He wanted to count his property, and his property included Mary and Joseph. Just to add some color to this comparison that Luke is making between Augustus and Jesus. When Augustus was born, it was proclaimed to the land, good news. You know what good news means in the original language? The gospel. The gospel went out to all the land that a Savior is born. Then we have in Luke 2, 10 through 11. The angel said to them, fear not, for behold, I bring you good news. I bring you real gospel of great joy for all the people for unto you is born this day in the city of David a savior which is Christ the Lord the very words spoken by the angel stand in contrast to the words that were spoken over Caesar Augustus good news a savior is born there is a artifact in antiquity from the first century that is a plaque written when Augustus was born. And I wanted you to see it. I want you to, to see it, what it says on it. It says, Divine Augustus Caesar, Son of God, Imperator of land and sea, the benefactor and Savior of the whole world. This is the description of Theopolis' boss. So imagine as he reads this letter to him in Luke chapter 2, he would have seen the parallels. And Luke is saying, make no mistake, there is only one Savior of the world, and he is not the emperor of Rome. He is this baby that is born in a manger. Another thing that we would probably miss if we weren't careful is that from the very beginning, Luke is pointing to the cross. The very beginning of these chapters, he's already painting an imagery of what's about to come at the cross. And I want you to see this because I think it's so profound. So look at verse, or chapter 2, verse 7. Chapter 2, verse 7. Luke says, And she gave birth to her firstborn son and wrapped him in swaddling clothes and laid him in a manger. And if we were to take that in the original language and then go to sh shift over to uh, chapter 23, 
verse 53. There's all kinds of parallel in the language here. 2353, right after the death of Christ on the cross. It says, then they took him down, wrapped him in a linen shroud, talking about the body, and laid him in a tomb cut in stone. I want you to see a picture of a first century manger. What do you see? It's a stone. And we have that picture of the wood manger. They didn't use wood mangers because the wood would rot and wood was actually harder to come by. The, the mangers, when you travel through Israel, wherever you go, there's these mangers all over the place that are the artifacts. That it's cut in stone. Jesus was wrapped in linen and he was laid in a stone. And Luke's saying, pay attention. This is a foreshadowing of what's to come because Jesus is the Savior of of the world who will lay down his life and die on the cross and rise again the third day. Why? To save you and me. God sees. God cares. God moves in the lives of the people. And Jesus saves. Luke 1, verse 69 says, And he has raised up a horn of salvation for us in the house of his servant David. Luke 1, 76 77. And you, child, will be called the prophet of the Most High. You will go before the Lord and prepare his way to give knowledge of salvation for his people and the forgiveness of their sins. Chapter 2, verse 11. For unto you is born this day in the city of David a Savior who is Christ the Lord. Jesus grows in wisdom and stature with men. He does all these great things, ready. The lame are healed, the, the blind can see, the deaf can hear, the dead are raised from to life. But in the end, he lays down his life for you and I because he is the savior of the world. God sees, Jesus saves. It's a pretty basic truth, but it's another one of those truths that we sometimes forget. And when we forget that it's Jesus who does the savings, you know who becomes the Savior? We do. We think we can save ourselves. We forget that he came to save us in our marriages, to save our relationships, to save us in the moment. Sometimes we think salvation is this ticket that we cash for an eternity so that we can go to heaven, but God wants to bring about salvation in the here and now. It is a present tense thing. God comes to save us from our anger, to save us from our bitterness, to save us from our unforgiveness, to save us from our sin, to save our relationships. This saving work of Jesus transcends just our ability to have a ticket into heaven. Do you get that? That God sees you, he cares about you, he loves you, he's moving in your life, and he sent his son Jesus to save you. God sees, Jesus saves. And the last absolute truth from the first two chapters is the Holy Spirit fills. John was filled with the Spirit. The Holy Spirit came upon Mary, and she conceived a son. Elizabeth was filled with the Spirit when she prophesied. After the birth of John, the Baptist, Zechariah, was filled with the Holy Spirit. John grew strong in the Spirit. Simeon was waiting for Jesus to come, and it says the Holy Spirit was upon him. This is all in the first two chapters of Luke. What is he trying to say? He's trying to say the Spirit of God is at work. The Spirit of God is the one who fills us. 
when you look at these three statements together. They're pretty elementary. Some of you are probably saying you went to seminary all week and that's all you got, huh? But the truth is we need to learn to live into these truths if we want the truth to go from our heads to our hearts and to end up in our feet. We want to walk these truths out in our lives. We need to meditate. We need to wake up every morning and remember that God sees me and God cares and Jesus saved me. Lord, would you fill me with your spirit? Allow me to walk in the presence of God and to be full of the spirit of God. I struggle to walk in these truths in the everyday. I take these elementary matters of faith for granted in my own life. And when I do, I find myself worrying. I know God is in control, but sometimes it's hard. There's something God wants for all of us this morning. The power of these three very basic truths. God sees, he cares, he loves, he's good, he's watching over you, he desires to do good things in your life. The question is, do you believe that? Jesus saves. Saves us now. Saves us from our addictions and our anger. Are you able to walk in the truth of the salvation of Jesus? And the Holy Spirit fills. There is a joy that comes when you are filled with the Spirit. You know what the scriptures say? It says that when you said yes to Jesus, the same Spirit that raised Jesus from the dead takes residence in you. Come on, that's a pretty profound truth. The same Spirit that raised Jesus from the dead takes residence in you and desires to fill you. But you know what? Sometimes we desire to fill ourselves with all kinds of things other than the Spirit of God. And we need to lean back into these three truths and we need to be filled with the Spirit. I've been away from home since last Saturday. I got home last night, kind of late. And uh, I love this about uh, my kids. They're pretty comfortable. So while we were on a plane waiting to take off in Minnesota coming back to layover between two flights I got a text from my son that said we're coming over for dinner <laughs> some of the dads in the room laugh <laughs> yeah but I love that and here's the truth I've really struggled last week missing uh, my kids it might have something to do with the new grandbaby not sure pretty sure um, but I missed them a lot and so it was it was glorious to sit at the table just to eat together, and I was tired, and I don't think I said much, but I loved watching my kids. I loved watching them talk to each other. I loved the banter. I loved the teasing. The food was good, but I just loved seeing them. I loved watching them. Dinner was over, and I got to hold Caitlin, the grandbaby, and she fell asleep in my arms. It's awesome, but do you know in comparison to how much God enjoys seeing you. Do you get that? As much as I love my kids, and I love my kids, it pales in comparison. As much as you love your babies or your grandbabies, it pales in comparison to how much God sees you, how much God delights in you. You know, the scriptures say that God actually dances over you. That's how much he 
enjoys who you are. God sees, Jesus saves, and the Holy Spirit wants to fill you beyond measure. I feel like there's two groups of people in the room. Some of you need to get back to what you already know. Some of you could have preached this message because you know God sees, Jesus saves, and the Holy Spirit fills. There's nothing too rocket science in here, right? Some of you need to get back to these three truths. You need to remind yourselves of these three truths. And some of you need to take hold of it for the very first time. Some of you are to the place today where you know it's true. Jesus really did come. He really did die. He really did rise again. And I need Jesus in my life. Lord, would you take hold of me? Lord, would you enter into my life? I welcome you as my Savior. Let's pray. Lord, I pray for each and every person in this room that we would take hold of this truth, whether it's for the hundredth time or for the first time. Lord, I pray that we would be a people filled with your Spirit, I pray that we would be a people experiencing the salvation of Christ in our lives, the healing work of Christ in our lives, that we would have a greater level of intimacy with a Father who loves us beyond our wildest imagination. Lord, I pray for the people in the room that are making that decision for the first time. Would you usher them in to your kingdom? Would you allow them to feel your joy over them as they say yes to your son. Help us to walk with them and help them to grow. For the people who are coming back, help us to be a church that continues to disciple them and help them to fall in love with a God who loves them so much. Help us to be the church you've called us to be here at Moratz and Miami Forest. Thank you for the fact that you see us. Thank you for sending So when you leave this morning, they're going to give you this bag. Uh, this is for the food pantry. Uh, if you would just um, go home, read Luke 1 and 2. Read, read Luke 1 and 2. And then fill the bag and then bring it back with you next week. That would be great. God bless you. Have a great Sunday.